Wouldn't it be great if you could just take a pill and then you had self-control, right? Just plop it in. Hey, self-control. The reality is we all lack self-control in one way or the other. Maybe we eat too much, we drink too much, we spend too much, we say too much. I mean, you could, the list could go on where we, we lack self-control. As we were um, driving in this morning, um, my wife Janelle was sitting shotgun and Chandler was in the back seat and we were driving and all of a sudden Janelle screams in this terror voice. And I was like, what? What happened? There's a spider on me. She had looked down and there was a spider on her little jacket. And so she exercised self-control, except for how she yelled. But other than that, it was perfect. I would have smashed it right there on my shirt or whatever. But she had me pull over. She took the sleeve of her coffee cup and just kind of held it over, wounded him a little bit so that he couldn't move. And then we pulled over and she scraped the spider off. So thanks for a great sermon illustration, sweetheart. And she did a good job. But We need, when it comes to self-control, when it comes to life, you know what? We don't need willpower. We need real power. We need a real power. We need His power. It says in Galatians 5.23 that the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Self-control. The the ability to to control your emotions, your behavior, etc. And that's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I was reading about a, an elderly couple. They were driving through upstate New York, and um, the, guy, the man saw a sign that said, helicopter rides. And so he said, honey, I've always wanted to see the lay of the land from the air. Can we do that? So they pulled in, and they found the pilot and asked how much it was going to be, and the pilot said, it's $150 a piece. So the old guy kind of scratched his head, and the pilot could tell that Maybe he wasn't going to get his sale, so to speak. So he said, listen, if you guys give me your word that you will not scream when I'm flying, you won't do any, make any noise, um, I'll let you do it for free. But if you make any sounds at all, I'm going to ha- have to charge you full price. So the guy, immediately when they get in, he takes off at full speed to try to scare him a little bit because he wants to make his sale. And he's flying over the tree line and doing some, you know, pilot, helicopter pilot moves, and finally they're done, and they land, and they didn't make a peep the whole time. And he says, listen, I'm a man of my word. He said, you didn't make a sound that whole time. The old guy looks at him. He said, yeah, I almost did when my wife fell out of the helicopter. (laughs) Man of self-control right there. Ah. See, Brian, that's what that feels like right there. Sorry, bro. So um, we're finishing this series on the fruit of the Spirit. It's called, we've been talking about mirrors and how God created us in His image to mirror who He is. God created people in His image. The rest of creation is God's artwork. It's God's handiwork. And, but being created in His image means we have the ability to reason, think, create, make choices, to love, etc., Creation can't do that. Only humans model God in that or reflect God. And we've been talking about how we're, we're, we mirror God through these fruit of the Spirit. But we also know that, that in ourselves, in our sinful nature, that image of God is distorted. 
The image of God is it's that broken mirror that I've been showing throughout this series. But Jesus came to show us the perfect image of God, who God is. He reflects the image of God perfectly. He is the image of the invisible God. But also, Jesus came to show us what humanity was to be like. He came to show, show us what, what it means like to be fully human. And when we, when we look and say, okay, Jesus, I want to cooperate with you. I want to cooperate with the Spirit to become like you. We, we look at the fruit of the Spirit. There's nine fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and today, self-control. And when you look at self-control, God doesn't need self-control, right? Of the, of the nine fruits of the Spirit, God is always in control. He's never out of control. But Jesus, being fully God and fully human, when he came into this world, he took on humanity. He took on flesh. So everything that, that we experience, so to speak, as a human, he experienced as well, as well as in temptation. So when you, when you think about Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, where he, it, at his baptism, you hear this shout from the Father in heaven that says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. It says the Holy Spirit descended like a dove upon Jesus. So you have the Trinity uh, in perfect unity. And you see that, that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this celebration of who Jesus is. But it says, continued right after that, that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. And Jesus experienced all the temptations that we do to, to, to be our own boss, to, to disobey God's word, etc. And he, he experienced that, that temptation and he did it without sin. He overcame through his connection with the Father and by the word of God. It says in Hebrews chapter 2 about Jesus, it says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be, make, make, had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. That's good news. We have a sympathetic Savior who empathizes with us. He's been there and done that. We don't need willpower. We need real power. We need his power. We need to learn how to, to lean on Jesus. Three blessings that come when we walk in self-control. The first one is confidence. Confidence, a sense of security. When you are walking in self-control, you're walking in the Spirit, you have this sense of security. It says in Proverbs 25, 28, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. That's me and you when we lack self-control. A couple times in the last year, um, I've accidentally left the garage door open all night. You ever done that before? And you wake up and didn't realize that your garage was open and vulnerable all night long. That's a bad feeling. You wake up, whoa, 
anybody take anything, vandalize anything? It's a vulnerable feeling. Thankfully, the inside door was locked, so somebody just couldn't come in our house. But when we lack self-control, it's that, that feeling of, of insecurity or vulnerability. But when we walk in self-control, we have confidence. Second blessing is, is success. To have success as a parent, to have success as a spouse, as an employee, as whatever we're doing in life, to have a success comes from self-confidence. The Apostle Paul, over and over in his letters, would use the Olympics. Um, they had Olympics way back then. And he would use the Olympics as a, an illustration of our walk or our walking with Jesus. And he told the Corinthians, he said, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But only one receives the prize. Only one gets the gold medal, so to speak. Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. He's saying, listen, equate it to to how hard these athletes train and eat right and, and do the right things for that that moment of, of winning that gold medal. But he says, in the games, they're going to receive a prize that's perishable. It's not going to heaven with them. But for you and I, that, that goal, the prize is to become like Jesus in how we think, act, and speak. That's God's goal is how we think, act, and speak. We become like Jesus. It's hard to believe the Olympics are, are going to be here in a couple months. This summer, four years has flown by again. But these men and women, these athletes have been training night and day, self-discipline, self-control for their, their moment of, in, in, of glory, so to speak. So to have success is self-control. And then lastly, um, freedom. Walking in self-control leads to freedom. Jesus said, so if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. If Jesus Christ sets you free, you're free indeed. The context of that is Jesus had just told his audience that anyone who sins is a slave to sin. Sin becomes their master. So outside of Jesus, we're we're slaves to sin, you and I both. We know that. And yet, Jesus came to set us free. And if he sets us free, we're free indeed. The hardest person to lead in your life is yourself. The hardest person for me to lead is myself. That's why I need a leader. That's why I need Jesus to lead. That's why you need Jesus to lead. And often we look for freedom in the wrong places. We look for freedom. We look for self-control in some sort of quick fix. But there is no quick fix. I'm 100% with all of you. I'm not up here teaching about self-control because I've mastered the subject. I'm, I'm in the trenches with you learning how to walk in the spirit, how to walk in self-control. But I know it's a process. It's a process of letting Jesus lead every area of your life. And when we don't let him lead every area of our life, we're going we're gonna to lash out in anger. We're going to drink too much. We're going to eat too much, spend too much. Whatever it is that can be out of control, we'll do it to try to fix ourselves. So how do we develop self-control? How can you and I develop this cooperate with the spirit? First thing I would have you write down is go below the surface issues. Surface issues, since I've brought this up a couple times, surface issue would be, I eat too much, so I just won't keep any food in the house. 
And you can tell I do that, right? You could just go to the store and buy more food once you decided you wanted to eat, right? You can, it, the, the surface issue is, is not the food, but what's under the surface. Now, I'm not saying it's not important to distance ourselves from temptation of whatever that may be. Of course, that's always a good thing. But it's, it's, we got to go below the surface of what the problem seems to be on, on, on the tip of the iceberg, so to speak. So um, I, I think we have to admit there's a problem. The first step in any issue that's out of control in our life is to say, i got a problem. i got to admit that. Romans 6.14, Paul echoes Jesus when he says, Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. I think that's such an important verse because God is not telling us there that, we're gonna, that we need to feel free or that we need to feel that sin is no longer our master. He's telling us to believe something. It's a faith issue. He's not asking us to feel but to believe. And that's a hard thing because we're so ruled by our feelings and our emotions what is often underneath the surface is pain, hurts, fears that are there, and we want them to go away. So we tend to go to bad habits or destructive behavior to try to make the pain go away. If I break my leg and they give me painkillers, I'm going to take the painkillers so that I don't feel that pain. We tend to do other things for our inner world, our, our inner pain, so to speak. I was thinking, you know, who, who doesn't love Krispy Kreme, right? You might be a Dunkin' Donut person or whatever, but Krispy Kreme's rule, like they're good. Do you see that Kentucky Fried Chicken has a sandwich where they cut the donut in half, the, a Krispy Kreme donut, and put a chicken breast on it, and that's your bun? That's what I'm talking about, man. <laughs> Let's go right now. But the reason I say that is, there's nothing wrong with eating a, a Krispy Kreme or two, right? But if I'm, if I'm doing it to make myself feel better, then it's unhealthy. If I'm doing it for enjoyment, that's one thing. But if I'm doing it to make myself feel better, it's, there's a problem. Let me go deeper. Let me go from PG to PG-13. The person who is struggling looking at pornography, and you, you can't shake this pornography for, in, your, in your life, that person doesn't have a, just a lust problem. They have an intimacy problem. Because all of us were created by God to connect. And that is just a, 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 an intimacy issue more than it is anything else. So when you go belong, below the surface, we let Jesus heal our hurts. We let Jesus be the master. We let Jesus be the leader, and we follow him, then we're not looking to other things to do what only he can do, which is meet our deepest needs and to heal our hearts. You got to remember this. I really felt like somebody needed to be reminded of this. You're struggling today. You need to be reminded that Jesus is for you, not against you. He is for he is cheering you on. He is open arms saying, "Come to me and let me be the power in your life." We don't need willpower, you need my power is what he's saying. So before I say anything else, I thought it would be good to pray. Cuz when you talk about surface issues, 
we all have hurts and pains. And what I want to pray is I want to pray Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 through 19, over all of us, over myself and you, to ask Jesus to continue that healing process for all of us. So will you pray with me? Lord, I ask you to strengthen us by your spirit. Lord, in your glorious inner strength, that that Christ would live in us as we open the doors of our lives to invite you in, Lord, to be, be the Lord of every area of our life. I ask you, Lord, that your love, that we would be permanently, perfectly planted in your love. And from that love, understanding that you're for us and not against us, God, you would heal and help us. You didn't come to condemn us, but you came to give us life. Lord, I pray as being followers of you that we would know the dimensions of your amazing love. We would know the the breadth, the length, the depths, the heights of your love, and that we would live in that love, and from there, Lord, we would truly walk in self-control. In Jesus' name, amen. So go below the surface issue, and the second thing I want you to write down is grow in grace. Grow in grace. Grace, by very definition, is the power to do what you could never do on your own. It's it's God's power in your life to do what you could never do on your own. The Apostle Peter tells us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're to grow. Grace is not a one-time exchange. It's a way of life for us as followers of God. It's receiving his power on a daily basis. The more you and I understand who he is, and the more you and I understand who we are because of him, the more we're walking in grace, the more power we will realize that we have in our life. You realize that, that the New Testament tells us that the same power that raised Jesus from the grave lives inside of you and I. Because the same spirit that raised a dead man from, from death to life lives and resides in you and me. And we need to access that. If we're walking around today defeated over and over by habits and, and hang-ups and stuff in our life, man, we haven't accessed what's already been given to us. We have everything we need for life and godliness. He just says, access it. Trust me. We need that power. Uh, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12 says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. What teaches us to say no to ungodliness? Grace, right there. For the grace of God has appeared, and it teaches us. Not me trying harder or my willpower or any of this or beating each other up over it. It's the grace of God. It's the power to do what we could never do on our own. Grace causes you and I to leave the past in the past. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that if any one of us be in Christ, we're new creations. The old is gone. We've been made new. That's good news. Grace helps me to not be controlled by my feelings. You and I need to know how to challenge our feelings with the gospel. 
Does what I'm feeling line up with the gospel? Does it line up with what Jesus has done for us? And then grace helps you and I believe that we can change. If you don't believe you can change, then you need grace. Grace helps you and I believe, God, I can't change myself. God, I can't shake this habit, but you can. Grace helps me believe that I can change. The third, the third thing I think we can do in developing self-control is to give up control. Give up control. To gain self-control, I got to give up control. What does that mean? Does that mean I give up control and I'm on autopilot and I never get tempted? (laughs) No, that's not what that means. It means I allow the Spirit of God, I allow the Son of God to lead my life. Because he's always there leading us, am I going to follow? Am I going to do what he says to do? Said our text that we've been studying for nine weeks, Galatians 5.22, but when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, he will produce this kind of fruit in us, love, joy, peace, and self-control. When he's in control, then that fruit is produced. We don't manufacture it or create it. He does it in and through us. Self-control is not abstinence. I don't, you don't see that the fruit of the Spirit is abstinence. There are many good gifts and good things from, from God that he's given us to enjoy. But we're not to be mastered by anything, right? We are to let him be the master. Sin is no longer our master. So by faith, Lord, you get to, to call the shots in my life. One of the most fascinating verses um, in the Bible to me is, is Romans chapter 7, verse 5. It says that the law arouses the sinful nature. It's pretty strong language. The law arouses the sinful nature. In other words, the harder I try to obey the list, the harder I try to do the rules, the more my sinful nature wants to have its way. It's like, don't walk on the grass. Well, I wasn't even thinking about walking on the grass, but now I feel like walking on the grass because you told me I couldn't do it. That's the arousal that happens. It made me think of, uh, and the more we try, try, the harder it gets. You know, that classic movie, Finding Nemo? One of the greatest movies ever. If you remember, there were uh, three sharks that were in like not eating fish anonymous or whatever, and they were trying to, you know, fish are not food. They are our friends. And the big great white is there, and Dory has an accident, and she gets a little bloody nose. And the shark's trying his best to, to behave and, and not eat fish. All of a sudden, the blood comes by, and he smells, and he's like, oh. And that Great white shark was aroused to eat fish again. And then you know how it happens. They made it. And they found Nemo. I don't know if you know that or not, but they did. They actually found him. Cute little guy. Oh, I'm sorry. Only a 20-year-old movie, brother. Get out more. Um, The harder we try, the the harder it, it really truly does get. The law, the list... The commandments are a fault finder. The commandments, the law is a fault finder. Has any one of you ever been pulled over for going the speed limit? Didn't they pull you over and say, good job, you're going 45 and a 45. We'd like to acknowledge that to you today, citizen. Put that on your dash. No, you get pulled over when you break the law. The law, the rules, the commands are fault finders. 
It's what happens to us. That's why Jesus came and fulfilled the law so that we could walk in him and in grace in a new way to relate to God. Self-control, it's not willpower. It's real power. Practicing the spiritual disciplines of reading the Bible, prayer, fellowship, those activities, those disciplines cause you and I to be positioned to understand who we are. It it helps us learn self-control. Even the deeper ones, fasting, silence and solitude. I remember years ago um, when I was doing youth ministry with with Chris Ingalls, who leads our spiritual growth here at Novation, T&D. Um, we were, he was a youth leader with me, and we, we had done all this work to take care of the youth and make sure they had a great time. And by the time we had a big pizza party, and by the time I was done serving, I was ready to eat some pizza. And there was no pizza left. And I kind of lost it a little bit. You know, I was hangry. And... Uh, Chris, in his little no-nonsense, goes, you should consider fasting. (laughs) You should consider shutting up, right? (laughs) I didn't say that to him. I was actually convicted. He He was studying and reading fasting. When you learn how to fast and discipline yourself physically, you can have self-control in other areas of your life. You, you, it's just so practicing the spiritual disciplines for physical reasons and for spiritual reasons. So if you don't read the Bible regularly, can I encourage you to read the Bible regularly? If you don't pray regularly, start praying. Talk to God. It's, it, it's, there's not a, a handbook of how we pray. It's talking to God about what's on, asking him what's on his heart, direction for your life. And then being together, which leads me to my last point is if we're going to develop self-control, then I need to get others to help us. We need others to help us. Church is so much more than an hour and 15, 20 minutes on a Sunday. We don't go to church. We are the church. So wherever we go, the church is. Just remember that. But we gather together out of you know, instruction in the Bible to encourage one another, to worship, to, to see one another, to pray for one another. But that should be happening outside as well. But when it comes to developing self-control, accountability is very, very important. Having somebody that you can talk to, somebody that you don't feel accountable to, so to speak, but that they're accountable for you. You make yourself available for, for them to help you in your life. It says in Proverbs 12, 15, the way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. We need people around us who have gone through stuff, right? Or we need people around us who are going through stuff. You have something that somebody else needs. You have a painful experience that God's healed you from, that you can now help somebody else. You have uh, maturity, whatever it is in life that needs to be passed on. That's why organically we stress core groups at Novation. A core group is a group of three or four men or three or four women who try to meet regularly for, for the goal of this, that where we can sharpen one another. We do our men's core breakfast the first Thursday of the month where we're, we're, we're 
And that's not easy for men to be vulnerable, is it? I don't tell you my, my stuff, but God is working in people's lives. God is healing. You don't want to go through the difficulties of life by yourself. So as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And if you're not in a core group, join a home group. Because core groups begin to happen right out in a home group just as easy. People, it's doing life together. And I wrote down four, four things that really make accountability at its best. Number one is vulnerability. If you're taking notes, you've got to write it yourself. It's not going to come on the screen. But um, vulnerability. And vulnerability is I admit my stuff. Here, here, I have sin in my life. And you admit that to your group. And then it requires teachability. Teachability is I learn from you and then I respond. I put it into action. It takes availability. To, to have help from others is to be intentional about the relationship, intentional about the process. And then it takes honesty, right? It means I'm going to tell the truth even when it hurts. I'm going to tell the truth. I'm going to be committed to that. I want to be honest with all of you. I couldn't come up with a conclusion to this. I've been wrestling with this all week. And it's not laziness. It's what do you say at the end of a message about self-control? Go, my children, and walk in (laughs) self-control. You know... Thanks for laughing. Because we just need power. But it's not willpower. Maybe that's the best thing I can leave you with. Is would you ask God in the areas of life where you're lacking self-control to show his power through you? Show it, it, Humble yourself before him and say, God, I, I need power. I can't do this on my own. And watch what he does. He will meet you right where you're at. Will you stand and let's pray? Lord, what do we say? Except for thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for what you have done for us. Thank you that you never give up on us. Thank you that you continually pursue us. I thank you for your discipline when we get off track, Lord, that you you discipline us in a perfect way. Not out of retribution or punishment, but out of love and training and correction. Lord, we ask for that. Lord, there are areas in our life that we're struggling. And people need breakthroughs, God. We want to get off the the, the cycle of lacking self-control and, Lord, truly doing the hard things. Doing the things, Lord, that only with your help can we find the confidence and freedom and success that you want for us and that you've laid out for us. We say thank you. We say we love you. Lord, we want to honor you with our lives. Lord, thank you that you know that we are but dust, Lord, and that we are fragile, and yet you love us, Lord. Who are we? 
Remind us that we are your special creations. Remind those in this room that are hurting and, and insecure and, and, Lord, have heard a false message all their life that they're worthless. Lord, remind them that they are your special, special creation and that you have created us, you've redeemed us, and you sustain us. Remind us of that all week long. We love you, God, with all our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.